Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. My name, as you probably know already, unless you're new, and if you are welcome, is not Ashley Lowe Blassingame, although, again, she has given me full okay to borrow her catchphrase. This is your producer, Christiana Kimmick, and I'm happy to be back in the podcast booth yet again, doing an intro, filling in for Ashley. Today's guest is interviewed by Ashley, so don't worry, my voice will go away and hers will come up in just another moment, but I'm going to do the intro. Norman Curtis is our guest for this week. You guys, this is a really great one. I know, again, we say this every week, but this is a new type of guest. Norman is a practicing pharmacist for about eight years. He grew up always playing sports as a child and throughout high school. Norman struggled with a substance use disorder with either alcohol, Adderall, or both throughout most of his 20s and his early 30s. His journey to recovery actually started one day with a phone call to Lion Rock. That was June 2nd of 2018, and he has been sober from alcohol since that very day. His addiction to Adderall continued until July of 2019, when he was arrested for diverting medication from the pharmacy where he was working at. Norman's goal is to be more open about his past in order to eliminate the negative stigma associated with substance use disorders, especially in the medical field. He has now put himself in a position to be as happy as he's ever been, living a sober, active lifestyle. He now works part-time as a pharmacist, yay, and has started taking classes to become a physician's assistant. His goal is to become a PA in order to work directly with patients who are suffering from addiction disorders and mental health issues and help them on their way to recovery. Norman is incredible, and uh, it was absolutely unbelievable to hear him talk about his story. I love how honest he was. You'll hear him talk about his relationship with his family, how his substance use disorder affected his family and even talking to his doctor about some of the issues that he was experiencing and seeking help and how it it was, it actually wasn't the best situation. So I'm so excited to be able to introduce this guest and we're so happy that Norman was able to come on and we hope that you enjoy this. So without further ado, episode 90, let's do this. Of that is just gone. Oh like, man! Yeah, like growing up, it was always the most fun thing to do. Was how do I get? How are we gonna find a way to get alcohol? And then what are we gonna do? And then probably the last three years I drank, it was just by myself, and I was miserable, and it was never fun. Like this really took a turn for the worse. It's so funny when I got sober, I was nineteen, and one of the things that I was really worried about was how was I ever going to have fun again? And I had this whole idea, like, well, if I'm not, if I don't drink, I'm not going to have fun. Like, I'll never have fun again. But like, the reality was, it wasn't fun. Like, it wasn't fun anymore. I hadn't been having fun in a long time. But in my head, alcohol was still like meant fun, and people that don't drink don't have fun. Yeah. And when that's what your life had revolved around for since you could remember, I mean, I guess that you're 19 and the last handful of years was, that's what it was. Like you weren't having fun unless you were using something, but. I wasn't doing anything unless I was using something, you know, 
I wasn't, I, I literally didn't know how to go to a movie or <laughs> go to go to a bowling alley or go to a doctor's appointment or just, I didn't know how to do anything without getting loaded. Yeah. I mean, even those last three things you just said, I could movie I went to, I remember going to with my wife and I had a bottle out in the car and she didn't know about, she thought I quit drinking bowling. Yeah. It's like, I was always hiding it too. Even like, even when I was outwardly drinking, I was still hiding like the excess taking shots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. even doctor's appointments, I'd be yep. taking, uh, you know, I took an Adderall like right before I went into a doctor's appointment and then told the doctor that I'm not taking Adderall anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the, the big book talks about constitutionally incapable of being honest with ourselves. Right. And people think it's, people think that the, the drug addict alcoholic is lying to them. And it's not true. We're lying to ourselves. We're not lying to you. We're, we're actually telling you what our truth is. It's that we're lying to ourselves and you're getting that answer because we are, in order for us to continue on the way that we are, we have to tell ourselves something. We have to engage in some sort of narrative that makes it okay. And so, so we find a narrative that makes it okay and then that's the one that we use and we're lying to ourselves. Yeah, because it's like you, you know what the reality is. But you only you only think of that every so often, right? And then, and then you put that out of your mind immediately. Get it out of here, yeah. <laughs> Not welcome. Oh it's man! Like, how was I when I was like diverting Adderall from the pharmacy I was working at? I was, you know, the moments of clarity here and there would come through and be like, "This is insanity!" Like I spent seven years in college, like struggling. And it like had a really hard time through the majority of it, and finally like got done with that, and I have a job, and I'm gonna I'm risking all of that by doing what I'm doing. But then as like as quickly as I would think of something like that, is is I would just be like I I can't think of that anymore, like because the reality is I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing because I I have to because I have to yeah. yeah. So Norman, where where did you grow up? Because I want to get to I want to get to. You, your life as a pharmacist, but I want to hear about a little bit more of your story before then. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. I've got three older siblings and my parents um, are still together. It's pretty, you know, everybody says they had a pretty normal childhood, but that's what I felt like it, it was. All my siblings are, um, I'm the youngest. So they've, the nearest one to me is six years older. It's my brother, Eric. And my two sisters, uh, Lisa and Amy, well, basically two of my three older siblings are pharmacists too. Oh, okay. So it kind of is a family trade, but, um, what do your parents do? They're self-employed. Like my dad has a hardware store and, um, basically they have a lot of rental properties. So I wasn't sure. He started, if it was like started doing that when he was, when he was like 18, I think he bought his first house and now he's got like 55 or something. So, oh my God. Yeah. That's a lot of homes. Okay. And, and so you drank for the first time in high school. Yeah. What was the circumstances under which you drank? Did it? Did you have a great experience? I don't remember a whole lot of it, but sounds great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I remember, um, like, a lot of my buddies growing up, like, had started drinking before I did, and like, I thought I was being a really good kid by not not doing that, like. And so when I was, was, I think it was the summer after my sophomore year of high school was when I, um, or no spring break of sophomore year. But to me, that meant I waited a long time before I 
drank, but in reality, I guess I was still like 14 or 15, but I met up with some guys uh, when I was in Florida when they gave me beers and I think there were Coors Lights, but I don't remember how many I drank, but it was, yeah, it was pretty foggy night. Enough, enough to not remember. Yeah. And actually I thought I, I thought I got away with it and that nobody knew that I drank, but I found out like literally 15 years later that my sister saw me that, that night and knew that I was drunk and I had no idea. Like <laughs> we think we're so good at hiding things. Yeah. It's so funny. I've, I've talked to people they'll call um, and I've talked to them and they're like, well, I just like, I can't have anybody know that I'm going to meetings or like, I can't have anybody know that like I'm struggling or I'm an alcoholic. And we always joke, like we are the last people to know everybody. Knows. Right. We're, we're not good at hiding it. We're not, you know, like that's, you know, it, it, some people are that they, they I'll give them, I'll give you that. But most of us are not. And most of the time we are the last people to figure out that we have a problem, not the first. Right. So what like, uh, you, Oh, go ahead. No. Um, I felt like looking back on that, it was kind of a common theme where like somebody in my family recognized that I was, I had a problem before I, before I did like for sure. My sister saw me like she knew I was probably blacked out and was like, just not, not doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I was just oblivious, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So like to me, pharmacist is the m- most that's the perfect job. I used to sit when I was loaded and and I was a teenager and there was there was this book. I don't know if you remember, it was called The Pill Book and it was like this big and it described all the different pharmaceutical pills and it had like all the different markings and all the different numbers and it would explain and it had this big pill on the front and I would sit loaded and just read this thing and go and go through. And I fancied myself, a, you know, a pharmacist in training right. and, and just like going through all these things. And so to me, a farm, you know, I'm like, well, yeah, like that would have been a, an obvious path. It doesn't sound to me like you were that that was your motivator. So what was your motivator to what, what made you interested in pharmaceuticals? Well, and throughout high school, I was wasn't really the greatest student. I was just mostly focused on playing sports and um, going to parties and just being social and things. But I remember studying for a chemistry test one time in high school and I got like 102 on it. And it's like, well, I, I'm, I don't have to study anymore. Obviously, if I try, I can I can do it. So then I just went back to my not so good uh, student ways. But basically, my when I was in junior high, um, my sister, my oldest sister, Amy, had just graduated from pharmacy school. And I saw, like, I knew how much money she was making. I saw the car she was driving. And I knew very little about what a pharmacist even did. But I was like, that looks that looks cool. I'll, I'll do that. So it, it wasn't like, oh, I'm really interested in science or biology or this or that. It was, I just saw that my sister looked like she was doing well and was successful and thought, oh, I'll do that too. Okay. So, and... So pharmacy school, so do you, you go to college, right? And then how, what's pharmacy school look like? So you usually um, will do like two to four years of undergrad before you apply to pharmacy school. And then once you get in, it's like a f- four-year program basically. So and oh, wow. I think they've changed it since I was there. So it's like seven or eight years in college total. Wow. So you did seven or eight years of college to become a pharmacist. What was your drinking like in pharmacy school? 
I guess when I first started pharmacy school, um, things in my life were going pretty well still. So it was just more social stuff on the weekends. Um, and it wasn't really like I had certainly had unhealthy drinking habits, like, like I did from the get go from day one, the first time I ever drank, it was how much can I drink and let's do that. So I was still drinking when I started pharmacy school and, but it wasn't like a daily thing or anywhere close to that, but it eventually got there. I feel like I would have told the teachers, I would have asked the teachers if I could have like extra credit for doing my own pharmaceutical experimentation. (laughs) Like, excuse me, but this weekend I mixed these things and I would like to know if I can get credit because now I know there's an adverse reaction. I'm just reporting to you. I will be your post-market surveillance. So you get a DUI at 21, which is in, you're in pharmacy school at this time. Yeah. That was like in the middle of my second year of pharmacy school. So that, but you're already into pharmacy school, so that that's why it's not an issue, right? Because if you had applied, I think that probably would have been an issue. Yeah, it would have been an issue. So it was, I'd already gotten in, and I struggled in my first first year because you know the vast majority of people in the program were not trying to go party every weekend. They were, you know, pharmacy school was their number one priority, and to me, that really wasn't my reality. It was still trying to live it up and be. Uh, you know, I had a couple of buddies that were not in pharmacy school. Most everybody I hung out with was like, they had different majors and they weren't, doesn't matter what they are, but it, they didn't need to be as studious as I was. So I wasn't really around the, the right kind of people, but You yeah. can say it, communications. <laughs> <laughs> I figured no matter what I would say that it would have possibly... It would offend someone. Somebody, so, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Um, Yeah, yeah, I did it for you. So, okay. So, you know, you get the DUI. So did you, were you like, oh, this is shit. I have a problem now. Or was it like, you know, I had a bad, you know, I made one mistake and this fucker pulled me over and, you know, yeah. Okay. So it was very much, yeah, it was more like the police's, you know, police officer's fault for pulling you over while you were drunk kind of deal. Mm, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah. I get that. Get that. Um, I had a lot of excuses for why it happened. Yeah. It's because my windows were tinted. It wasn't because I was drunk and driving. See, told you. I knew it was coming. Yeah. And it was in my driveway. So I felt like oh, I made dear. it 99% of the way home. So it was in your yeah. driveway. No. Everything oh. was unfair. Like I was just unfairly chosen, is what I thought, you know. Right. I mean, it's pretty brutal to give someone a DUI in their driveway. Yeah. It, it like, was, is it any consolation? I'm like a kind of, I'll, I'll co-sign a little bit of that victimhood yeah. because that's kind of bullshit. Right. <laughs> I am no longer a danger. Um, <laughs> so did you tell anyone about it or did you have to tell anyone? I mean, my family knew about it. I needed help financially to, to get through that. Right. Because you um, must have lost your license. Well, I hadn't. Um, oh, yeah. Well, driver's license. Yeah. Yeah. They they typically don't take people's driver's license away like completely on their first yeah. DUI. But for some reason, they, they did that with me. So I didn't have a driver's license for a year. And I even I applied to get like a restricted license to drive yeah, back yeah. and forth to school and, and work because in the summers at that point, I was mowing lawns and would drive a truck with a trailer. And I was commuting from Mount Pleasant to Big Rapids, which is like 45 minutes. So I had, you know, 
the reasons for why I would need a restricted license and they still denied it. So, hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, they didn't give, they didn't put me on probation and they didn't like require me to do any type of like very little counseling or anything like that. It might actually help me, but yeah, that was my punishment for that. But I mean, at that point, my, I felt like my world was crumbling. Like it was, I mean, looking back on it now, I could have, I mean, I wish I would have handled it a lot differently, but it was devastating. So it was like the first time in my life that I felt like I had failed or let my family down or ever been in a position like that. So it was... Did it cause you to look at your drinking at all? Not not really. I think I was still a couple years away from, from that, but it what wasn't long after that. It was very pretty quick after that that I realized I had an issue, but... So when did you realize you had an issue? Oh, probably a couple months later. How come? Because when I got when I got the DUI, I was already like borderline struggling in, in school in pharmacy school. So after getting the DUI, I feel like I was starting to deal with some depression. I was kind of isolating myself, mostly because well, part of it was because I, I felt like I shouldn't be hanging out with the friends that I was hanging out with before, and I didn't really know anybody else. I wasn't really friends with anybody else. But I continued to struggle just, um, I don't remember exactly why, but my grades were really not good. And I started drinking by myself and I lived like two doors down from a liquor store, which was not, not a good situation. I mean, but it, or it is, you know. Yeah, it was at the time. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just kind of depends on where you are in the process. Convenient, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially without a license. Right. So, yeah, once I started doing that and... You know, I just felt really bad for myself, and yeah. that was my way of coping. And I hadn't, like I said earlier, there's I had never really dealt with failure before, like sports and school and uh, relationships. Like everything that I'd done up to that point was usually worked out pretty well. So interesting. You know, what's interesting about that is there's a lot of talk. Um, I have young boys, and there's a lot of talk about how kids these days, kids these days, they don't know how to fail. And that that parents, you know, sugarcoat things or uh, don't allow them to have these experiences. And um, then they get to college and they, you know, they have some sort of failure and they crack. They completely crack. And it's interesting because as you're saying this, I'm thinking, yeah, like you don't know how to handle failure and why would you if you'd never experienced it? Why are, you know, no one's going to walk you, you know, sit you down if things are going really well and talk to you about failure, right? And how important it is, you know, from the perspective of growing up and and getting skills as we grow up to learn how to experience negative feelings and to embrace, learn young to embrace a negative feeling and walk through it and know that there's you know, support, you know, that there's something on the other side because, you know, as an adult, right, you had these negative feelings and alcohol was already part of your life. And so it was, that was the biggest coping skill. Yeah, it was, I mean, I don't really have much to add to that, I guess. It's pretty accurate based on what my situation was. So you continue in um, pharmaceutical pharmacy school, you graduate and do you go get a job or how, what's, what's the timeline there? Cause you know, at this point, so you're, you're drinking and you know that your drinking is problematic, but you continue on and you don't get sober for a little bit longer. So what happened 
between the time that we're talking about where you're walking to that liquor store and the time that you ended up realizing you need to ask for help? Well, when I started drinking um, by myself, like shortly after the DUI, that didn't last very long. Um, It was like a month or two towards the end of that semester. um, I started failing classes. So I knew that two out of like the five classes I was taking, I was going to have to retake the following year because I was just, I was at a point of no return, which made things even worse. But so at the end of the semester, I ended up calling my mom after, I don't remember how many beers I had drank, but I was at home alone, like on the last day of the semester and hadn't really talked to anybody about how poorly I was doing. Just kept that to myself. So that was not a fun time because it's like day after day, I know that shit's going to hit the fan here and I'm going to have to tell my family that uh, I failed classes. I'm going to have to stay another year. And like I'd had two older siblings that had gone through this program already at the same school and didn't have any issues. Like they were fine. So it was it's like, what's wrong with me? You know, why, why can't I do this? So I was really down on myself and really depressed and not knowing how to handle that. So but eventually it was like I needed to, I don't know what brought me to make the phone call, but I called my mom and I was like, hey, I'm, I'm at my house. Uh, I've been drinking. I'm by myself. Um, I, need, I need you to come pick me up. And I mean, I'm sure she could tell that I was not in a good place. Uh, but her and my dad came over uh, pretty much immediately. And I think that was the first time that my mom probably knew that I had an issue I felt like it was just an isolated thing. Like it was just, oh, I'm depressed. And this is just, oh, my world's coming to an end because I have to retake the classes. And it's like, you know, looking back on it now, life experience, it's like, that's really not that big of a deal. Like, (laughs) dude, chill out. But I know, um, but it feels like a bit, but if you don't have any coping skills, right? Like if you don't have any coping skills to deal with it, but I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, it's, it's incredible to me how, we can take these situations that like in the grand scheme of things, having to retake a couple classes or, you know, like how long it took you to do X, Y, like it just doesn't matter. But it at the time it feels life ending. It feels just absolutely no way to get out of this dark hole. And other than, you know, alcohol, which of course only makes things worse. So your mom realizes that you have a drink or that this is the first time she realizes there's a problem. Were you out of pharmaceuticals? No, you, you still had to retake the classes. Yeah. So she she's um, like on her side of my family, there's a lot of alcoholism. And she, I think, quit drinking when I was like three, two or three, which ironically is like the same age that uh, my son was when I quit drinking. So I grew up not knowing that she ever really drank but she's talked to me about it before where she felt like when she did drink that she felt like she lost control, that it wasn't up to her how many she was going to have or what was going to happen. So she got tired of, of, of feeling like that. And she knew that she had siblings that had dealt with the same type of problem. So I didn't know that about her until after, you know, that incident. I don't remember exactly when it was that she talked to me about it, but so, yeah, that was kind of the start of, uh, you know, once I'm calling my mom and I'm, you know, had just drank a case of Bud Light to myself and having her come pick me up from school, like I knew that there was a problem. I didn't know what it was exactly yet, but I just knew I needed needed help. But 
at that point, it wasn't like, oh, I need to go to rehab or I need to stop drinking. It was, um, this is just a crisis, you know? Right, right. It's like, I love it. It's like, I didn't know what the problem was at the time, but like, like we don't, you know what I mean? Like there's just this insanity around this disease, which is like, it's the only disease that tells us we don't have a disease where like you could drink a case of beer to yourself and you're like, I just don't know what the problem is. <laughs> it's like, such a I, mystery. It's just a mystery. And I, you know, yeah, like just uh, a whodunit. And, and <laughs> we just cannot figure out what's happening. And on the outside, this is again, the like, we're the last to know. On the outside, it's like, hello. But we think that the, re- the problem really lies in the thing that is causing us to drink, which... Yeah. Eventually you get down to that, but until you put the drink down, the drink is causing, you know, until your solution is now your problem. So that's, but I, I just love that when we're just like, I just had no idea what the problem was. Yeah. So, so, I mean, interesting that you're, you know, you're, that your mom used that opportunity to share that stuff with you. That's really cool. Okay. So you graduate to you graduate pharmaceutical school and you do get your license, right? Yeah, it was it was a struggle because I was still drinking on and off throughout that whole process. And I think before I ever graduated pharmacy school, I had told both um, uh, my girlfriend and now wife, Ashley. Um, well, her name's Ashley too, by the way. Great name. But, uh, and uh, I told her and my mom both, like the only safe amount for me to drink is none. And I was like maybe 23 at the time, but I didn't stop drinking until I was 30. So it took seven more years to actually put that plan into action. But that's, that's when I knew that I I can't, I can't do that. It's just not safe for me to do, but you still try to figure it out. How, how can I do this relatively safely? Yeah. For sure. You're not going to give up that easily. No, um, you got to struggle right? and, yeah. suffer oh. and suffer and suffer before you make a totally. change. Totally. You got to drink at different times of day. You got to drink in different glasses and bottles. You got to drink different alcohol. You got to drink when right. the sun's up or the sun's down. You got to figure, you got to try every possible combination before you're willing to, to let it go. Were you involved in any pharmaceutical, like, did you take any pharmaceutical drugs? I had tried Adderall like once or twice in like my first year of college just to study. But other than that, no, I always had the idea like I like drinking a lot Yeah, and I don't really need anything else. Um, and I knew I was going to go into pharmacy school since I was in like junior high. So I'm like, it's, it's not a good idea for me to be taking any other drugs or pharmaceutical drugs if I'm going to be handling them in the future. Um, which is interesting how things played out, but very logical thought process. (laughs) Well, Um, and it's like, I, me with drinking, it was like, I couldn't understand why everybody else around me didn't want to drink as much and as often as I did. It's like, what's wrong with you guys? Like, this is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Like it, but it didn't, I didn't realize then it's like, it doesn't affect everybody the same. Like some people drink and they don't want anything to do with it. It's like, that's not how it was for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a different experience for different people. I, I can definitely see, I see that when people, um, they have a glass of something and they put it down and they walk away from the table and they're like, yeah, I'm done. I'm like, what do you mean you're done? There's like, no, you're not, uh, get back to the table right now. Right. You are wasting alcohol. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just a whole different mentality. You Okay, so you get a job as a pharmacist. And what is a pharmacist? What's what's a job? What's a what's a pharmacist job like? I mean, I've had a few different jobs at this point, but the first one I had was at a, like a large pharmacy chain. It was pretty stressful. It wasn't at all what I expected it to be, and certainly after being in school for as long as I was, and you know, struggling pretty heavily throughout a lot of that to get done with, to finally get licensed and start working, and then realize that okay, this job kind of sucks. It's like, this is this is really shitty. I mean... What do you do I, all day? You're just verifying prescriptions, um, checking drug interactions with um, you know people that bring in their scripts or a lot of just talking to, to patients about um, new drugs they're starting or... But at, at the place I was at, it was... We were so busy and we I just didn't have enough help there. Like, you're the only pharmacist in the building you've got pharmacy technicians there that are that are helping but the place I was at we were never staffed appropriately so it was like you'd have hundreds of prescriptions to do each day and you just have barely any help so you're constantly behind so you're just filling filling bottles of pills basically yeah yeah I mean, I like to think there's more to it than that, but... Well, I just mean, I mean, like, the actual act, obviously, you have to, there's information you have to know, but I'm just saying, like, you, you're, what the day-to-day looks like physically filling, you're, you're putting... Yeah, like, the technicians typically are the ones who fill most of the stuff. Okay, okay. They'll give it to, give it to the pharmacist, and then we'll look at it, make sure that it's the right drug in the right bottle and check for interactions. And pretty much that's the gist of it. So, so you find out, Oh shit, I don't like being a pharmacist. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that was, scary. it was, uh, yeah, it was not, not what I was hoping for, but I worked in that pharmacy for like the, I think it was maybe a year and a half before I left and found a, a job in a hospital. So hospital pharmacy is a lot, um, that sounds a lot better. In my opinion, a lot better job. Yeah. Um, a lot less stressful. It does pay less, but it was worth it to me. It's like I you couldn't pay me enough money to go work at the the retail pharmacy I was at. At what point do you start diverting pills? At what point are you like, I'm gonna cause you had only done Adderall in college that one time, but then eventually you're you're risking your job. How to to walk me through that piece? So actually when I was when I was at my first pharmacist job, I think that's when my drinking started to get out of control just from the stress of work. Around that same time, my wife and I got engaged and bought our first house and got married and I don't remember all like how the timeline of of everything specifically, but my my job was was not um, a good environment for me. It was very uh, very hectic and stressful and then stuff at home was stressful at times too but my solution to you know working 14 hour days that were stressful was to, to drink afterwards so i think stress that's relief. what's that stress relief alcohol is yeah. stress relief for a lot of people yeah and i wasn't drinking small amounts i knew that it was i was playing with fire basically that i had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol and that something was probably gonna happen because of it eventually like Either I'm going to get another DUI, even though I didn't really drink and drive, but, you know, 
things happen. Either I was going to get another DUI or I was going to lose my job or I was going to lose my wife or, you know, I knew something bad was going to happen if I didn't change my behaviors. But, you know, I kept doing what I was doing. And it sounds like you couldn't change your behaviors. No, and I tried. I tried um, to modify them or to limit my intake and, you know, only have four drinks and then, then I fail at that. So then it'd be six and then it'd be eight and then it'd be 10. And, you know, eventually you just give up because it's not like there's, you you know that you're going to fail. So why, why even try? But after a couple of years of that, um, I went to see a doctor um, about like ADHD symptoms. I, I felt like I would meet like the diagnostic criteria for that. And part of me also knew that it would help um, make me function better after drinking the night before because mm-hmm. I couldn't, you know, couldn't limit the amount I was drinking. So instead right. of, instead of just stopping drinking, you know, yep. a better solution right. is just to go get another, get a prescription for an upper so that I can keep drinking and then still function. Makes complete sense to me. But I was even lying to myself back then because I I would, I read a book about the um, ADD and like, like I do have some of the symptoms, but that's not why I went to that doctor. I went to that doctor because in my mind, I knew that I was drinking too much and I had tried to stop and I couldn't stop and I wanted to stop, but I still couldn't. And like, I needed a solution and that's what it was. So, and I, I never once thought like to go buy it off the street or like, I didn't know anybody who, who well, you're a pharmacist. I, I mean, from, but, it's gotta yeah. be. So when you started to divert the Adderall, I would think that they, the controlled substances, they monitor pretty closely, right? Yeah. The issue was that I was the one that was mainly in charge of monitoring. Ah, yes. Um, Yes. The fox in charge of the hen house. Okay. So... Uh, uh, There was another pharmacist, too, that was involved in monitoring that, too. So I guess we'll get to that eventually about how how I got caught. But, yeah, how I got started on the Adderall was related to my drinking. But... Yeah. it is. I mean, it certainly was helpful when I started taking it. And of course, it's going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a great drug interaction. Yeah, I felt like it. I'm a huge it, fan. Yeah. It's like coming from the pharmacist. I know that you're not supposed to combine alcohol and Adderall, but it's like, but I don't, I, I don't count. Like, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. No, part of the, I mean, part of that group. Here's how I see it. Whenever I see a commercial that says like, we do not suggest you mix this drug with alcohol. Here's what my brain says. Immediately mix this drug with alcohol. Immediately. You <laughs> will get so, so fucked up. Like right. there was there was some like diabetes, I want to say Lyrica or something. There was a yeah. there was it's this constant commercial. I, I've been sober a long time. And, and I would say to my and it was like, do not mix this drug with alcohol. I'm like, that drug is good with alcohol. I have no idea what it is, but I'm telling you, like, if it says don't operate heavy machinery and don't mix with alcohol. That's a party drug. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I what you did makes complete sense to me because the alcoholic, addict, whatever it is, we're going to do whatever it takes to protect our addiction. And yeah. because we know we can't beat it. And so it basically takes, you know, it, it starts running the show, which is why our lives fall apart. Um, so it starts running the show. So yeah, I mean, it is, it is the next logical thing to do and you had access and you were a pharmacist, you're a professional. So people, there's also this 
you know, belief that if you're a professional, that it you're less likely to have this happen to you. So I'm sure the doctor knew you were a pharmacist and that was helpful and, you know, all of that. So, so tell me about like starting to steal from the pharmacy and then getting caught. If you want to back up a little bit from, from that part, it was like, I, I quit drinking first before oh, you did? Any okay. the Adderall stuff happened. So yeah, I started, to, I started on the Adderall. It was probably like 2015 or so. And I was using both alcohol and Adderall for a few years. And it was, I, I feel like I lost a lot of that time, which is unfortunate. But I mean, it had to happen for me to be where I'm at today. So, I mean, it is, it is what it is, I guess. But it was not a good combination. And I was hiding it from basically everybody and lying about it. And that's just who I was at the time. And I was drinking. It got to the point where I was drinking pretty much daily. But the, the Adderall I was getting from a doctor, you know, legally. And, you know, I'd get a 30-day supply. And in the beginning, it would last 28, 29 days. And then it would last 25. And then it would last 20. And then it would last 15. And towards the end, it was 10 to 15 days, you know, it'd be gone. But I guess uh, eventually I got sick of feeling like that. I, got, I, have, a, I have a question about this real quick. So... Did you guys talk about in pharmacy in pharmacy school? Did you guys talk about addiction at all and what to look for or um, different types of behaviors? And then the other kind of part of that question is: Did you believe that as long as it came from a professional, that it was didn't count as a drug? Well, we didn't really talk about addiction in pharmacy school nearly as much as I think we probably should have. I mean, I'm sure at some point we touched on it or like if we were talking about a certain class of drugs, we probably mentioned that, you know, these ones have abuse potential, but we never went into like detail of like how it affects people's mental health or, or, or like what it looks like if they're trying to get it or any of that. Not, not really. No. Oh, okay. Um, the interesting thing, it, the last like couple, I think the last day of classes, they brought in somebody, um, a pharmacist who had graduated from that school Year, uh, a few years prior who had been caught diverting and he came in and told his story to everybody about like this is what you know could happen and Scare at that straight. point i had never taken i mean i like i said i tried adderall like twice but it's like that sucks for that guy you know <laughs> that's not what an be. idiot <laughs> yeah like you know i felt bad for him and i felt like it was cool that he would come come back to the school and yeah. And, and do that. And like he had mentioned, like there's probably somebody in here that this is going to happen to just based on statistics. Right. And I'm looking around and I'm like, it sucks to be whoever that person is. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, totally. Like, well, like my, pro I knew at that point, it was like, my problem is drinking. Like, I'm not going to get right. something. Like, right, 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 right. It's not going to be me. So it was. It's interesting. I, I, I kind of knew at that point that maybe I would have issues with like alcohol that would put me in a similar situation, but never in a million years, I think I would ever be. Um, diverting drugs. That person. Yeah. yeah. So you probably had to start diverting drugs when you got down to like a 30 day supply would last you 10 days. Yeah. Well, no, what happened was, is my, my doctor retired, but Rude. prior to that, so it was like, it was June, 2018 is when I called Lion Rock to start figuring out my drinking. Because right. at, that, at that time I knew that, I had a drinking problem. I didn't Did you have know. a consequence that called that that led you to call? No. Line rock? 
Oh no. Okay. It just was like, I just knew there was impending doom basically. Yeah. 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 That feeling is not, not, yeah. not, no bueno. So, I mean, up until then it was like, I had gotten so tired of drinking. Like I just didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Drinking. I could get out of work well. and be drinking. And then, you know, in the mornings, sometimes I'd have to have some just to function, but I get so tired of doing that. And, you know, tell myself every day that I'm not going to go do that. I'm not going to buy alcohol after work today. And I'm not going to keep lying to people about it. I'm not going to keep lying to myself. And it's just like I said earlier, it's like at a certain point, I just gave up because I'm not I, like, I'm not going to keep telling myself that I'm not going to go to the store today because I know I'm going to. So like, that's one of the worst feelings I think I've ever had as an, as an addict is like, you just are so hopeless that you and you failed so many times that it's like I am not even going to tell. I like I don't want to go drink. I don't want to go continue to go through the same shit every day. But I don't have a choice. Like I, I don't have a choice anymore. Like because I've told myself time and time and time again, hundreds of times, I'm not going to go do that, and I go do it every time. So why even say that anymore? Why even waste my thoughts? Yep. So yep. This like just crazy internal dialogue that's going on, just this battle. Yeah. So I had gotten to the point where it's like, I need to do something. So I decided I was going to quit. I told my wife and my mom and I did. I made it. uh, So this was March of 2018. I decided to quit on my cousin's birthday. It's my cousin, Adam. Uh, He passed away when he was 21. So he was the same age as me. So it was, I don't know, around like 2007 or eight, it must've been, but he had um, some mental health issues and substance abuse issues and he took his own life. So um, I felt like if there was a time for me to uh, make that change when his birthday came up, I thought, you know, I'll do that for him because he couldn't do it for himself. So that was in March of 2018. And I, made it uh 37 days of sober so that was the first time uh that was the first time that i ever tried to quit because i wanted to quit not because anybody else was telling me to so in my mind um i didn't really have too bad of symptoms so i got lucky um so it could have been could have been really bad even deadly so and anybody that's uh, that doesn't understand the seriousness of that i had a friend of mine who was in rehab with me who wasn't that old. He was like 37 and like he relapsed six months after we got out of rehab and he died from, from that. And, you know, it doesn't really hit me until that happened. It's like, I knew it happened to older people, but I never thought that, you know, you'd be in your thirties and die from that. Yeah. You can be in your thirties. A lot of, um, I have a bunch of, friends who are firefighters and first responders and they tell me stories of those calls to homes of like, you know, relative guy dads in their thirties and forties trying to detox themselves and they die. Yeah. Um, so, so that's no joke. Yeah. So you made yeah. it 37 days. That's awesome. And what happened, what happened on 38? Well, you know, in my mind, since I had decided that I didn't want to drink anymore, that I wasn't doing it for anybody else, that that means that this is going to work. Like if I don't like I'm doing this for me and this is what I want and I'm not going to drink anymore. And I've made up my mind. Like, then that's what's going to happen. You know, right. 
it should be that simple. But no, on, on day 38, I don't even remember. There wasn't any like certain triggering moment. I think it was just, I mean, after learning more about addiction and, and relapse and recovery, it's like there was a process that started maybe around day 25 or something that I did. It's it's not usually just a split second decision to relapse. It was almost never. Yeah, so it was like probably around day thirty where like pause is frequently coming. Um, mm-hmm. Coming in, so. draw syndrome. Yeah, so I don't know. I went and bought a a pint of vodka, and at that point, um, I again felt like I was a failure. Like I can't believe that I'm doing this again. So instead of like okay. You bought a bottle, like tomorrow's a new day. Like, no, that's not where my mind went. It was I felt so bad about what I what I did and then I didn't have anybody to talk to because I never had went to a meeting or never opened up to anybody that was never asked for help really. And that, thank God that I've I've gotten a lot better at that, at asking for help because I was so bad at that for so long. Um and it's it's a very valuable skill to acquire. But at that point, I didn't have that. So I started drinking again, and I went right back to drinking as much as I was before and probably more. And I did that for another probably month and a half, two months almost, where I was drinking every day and just feeling sorry for myself and wondering how, like, how is this, how am I going to get out of this? Because even when I try to quit for me and I get 30 plus days and think, like, like, I remember just feeling so, proud of myself like i hadn't felt that proud of myself in such a long time when i made it 30 days you know i was thinking about my cousin a lot of the time and like like i I know i knew like what can happen if you don't get some of the stuff under control so it was pretty devastating at the time but after those couple months of drinking i decided you know obviously i need to ask for help from somebody that knows what they're doing and i can't do it by myself so i was um I was out playing disc golf by myself and I had a bottle of vodka with me and I knew I was going to call Lion Rock that day because I had looked it up the night before and had the number. And so I, I called and I don't even, I, I didn't, even, didn't even know what I was going to say. I just, I knew like, okay, I need to stop drinking and I need somebody to help me. And when I did call, it was Van that answered and like I said, I, did, I didn't expect to talk to somebody that was the director of admissions at Lion Rock. I was expecting to talk to somebody that wasn't really going to be all that helpful, to be honest. Um, but she was absolutely incredible. She, you know, you learn when you start going to meetings that you can relate to other people. And when somebody tells you their story and it's similar to yours, like it's so refreshing to hear that you're not the only one. She was the first person that made me feel that way. And didn't make me feel bad about anything that I had done. Just it, it made me feel like I could could make a change. So the issue, one of the problems with what I what I had decided to do was I knew that I needed to quit drinking because it was a problem. But I'd been on prescribed Adderall for four years at the time, and it's like I don't know if Adderall is really a problem or not because I've I've only ever taken it when I've been drinking too much. Like maybe I could quit drinking and. I know, such a bad idea, but maybe if I just quit drinking, I could keep taking the Adderall and like I'll be able to be like a normal person. So that was my idea. And I was going to see how that went. And if I decided, you know, after a couple months that, you know, the Adderall is a problem, even if I'm not drinking, then I'm going to have to quit that too. But 
it was like my crutch, you know, I, I couldn't function very well without it because I had been on it for so long. So it was not the best way to go about it, but that's the way I had to learn. I guess I, I don't typically learn things the easy way. It's the hard way. Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi, it's Ashley, your beloved host. When I'm not hosting the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast, I'm running the recruiting department at Lion Rock Recovery. We are always looking for amazing licensed mental health counselors, along with various other sales and operations positions that pop up from time to time. The Lion Rock culture is one of collaboration, support, and flexibility. Our employees work from home offices all over the country, utilizing technology to connect to one another. We are always hiring. So if you want to have the best job ever, check out our open positions and apply at www.lionrockrecovery.com backslash about backslash careers. I mean, so I just want to say, it's just right there. I just want to say, first of all, it's super like, however you get to your recovery is great. Like, you know, if you, it doesn't matter. I mean, hopefully you don't kill someone on your way, but you know, however people get to recovery is great. And the fact that you thought that this thing that was prescribed by a doctor was different than your drinking is super normal. Like so many people, <laughs> so many people. I, I was interviewing a, a, poli- a former police officer and he told me that he went to the doctor and was getting pain medication for for something. He had a real back and leg issues. And the doctor said to him that, oh, well, you can't get addicted to these because you're a police officer. A doctor said that, like as if your if your uniform stops your body from, like, but you know, and this person went to school for a very long time to become a doctor and prescribe this stuff. So it's like it's not stupid people. It it, it is stupid thinking, but it's not stupid people. It's people having this idea or belief system that was provided to them, like you're a drug addict if you go down to the dark alley and buy drugs. You're not a drug addict if the doctor hands you a, you know, and you can go get it legally and whatever. Like that, those two things, they don't compute. So it makes complete sense that you're like, yeah, but like, I don't know what this does to me when I'm not drinking. So I'm going to find out. Yeah. I mean, I had all the right intentions. It wasn't like, like I went into starting Lion Rock with like, the desire of, I don't know the words I'm looking for there, but. Did you think like, oh, this is online, this is not going to be as good? Or like, did you have any preconceived ideas about what was going to happen other Um, than the person you called wouldn't be helpful? (laughs) After I talked to Ban, I was pretty confident that I was going to be in a good place. I didn't have any like negative thoughts about doing it online. And I was also working full time at the time. So I needed to, do something that was going to fit my schedule and um, it worked out really well. So what was uh, that experience like for you? It was awesome. It was, I mean, really eye opening in a lot of different ways, talking with the counselors and talking with, you know, the group meetings were the, in the beginning were the the, the most informational or like most helpful, I guess, because I never heard other people tell their stories with alcohol and like how it affected them and how, they couldn't stop drinking either, even though they wanted to. And like just hearing other people's stories that and I've told people this many times since, since that experience that if you think that you can't have the same like type of bonding and relationships in an online meeting as you can in person, like 
you're wrong because you can. I still talk to um, a couple people that were in those meetings, and we've. I mean, that was. You really feel like you you're best friends with some of these people. Like it's, and for me, it was the first time that I could ever talk openly about what my problems were. Yeah. I'd never done that before, so it was it was amazing. I actually had uh, one of the counselors had told me, you know, Norman, you probably should stop the Adderall too. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it was Denise, and she oh, yeah. she doesn't hold back her opinion very often. Oh no, and I was like. Thanks, Denise, but I, I got it. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Like I've got this plan that's gonna work. So don't 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 worry yeah. about it. Yeah, you you relax more. with your opinions over there. Right. <laughs> like I, uh, there's still a chance that I can keep taking the Adderall and that yeah. everything's gonna be fine. So, but no, Lion Rock was awesome. Um, I've actually have uh, a plan to get a Lion Rock tattoo. So that's going to be what I'm yeah. so excited about this. <gasps> You're getting a lion rock tattoo, actually. Um, because I had planned on it being the logo, the lion rock logo with like the actual lion on the rock, and um, yeah, yeah, but then you got to change your logo. Yeah, we did change our logo, but you know, whatever you want to do. No, I don't know. And now I kind of like the new logo too, but I actually had it scheduled one time and I was supposed to go in, and the guy was sick the day I was supposed to go in to get it. So it got canceled and then I never had, now I'm talking to somebody else about going in and doing it. And with COVID going on, it's like impossible. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. To, to get anyone to come near you. So that yeah. kind of explains how, how much I like Lion Rock. Because it, <laughs> yes, it does. It changed my life um, for the better. So. Wow. That's, I mean, that's amazing. So one of the things that's hard for people to understand is the value of group. Like I talked to a lot of people like, no, 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 I just want to do individual sessions, right? I just want to, I just want to talk to my counselor. I don't want to be in a group of people I don't know. And that's, that tends to be like a big sticking point. And it's hard to explain to people how much value, how incredible the group experience is. If they haven't had it before, they're like, why am I, I'm just going to talk about my problem. I don't want to hear about Joe's problem. Like, I don't care. You know, I'm here to, I'm here to solve my problem. Like, I don't give a shit what's happening with these other people. Do you have any, like for, for those people with that perspective, do you have any words of wisdom? There's so many things that you can learn from other people that, you know, cause we always talk about hearing somebody's else's experiences that are similar to ours. But when you go into meetings and you're, you know, maybe you've been sober for 20 days and there's people in the meetings with you that have been sober for two days. And some of them have been sober for 90 days. And when they're sharing their experiences, especially the ones that have been sober longer, like maybe you haven't had the same experience, but you're going to. So you can have some tools like at your disposal already that you otherwise would never have had. It's like there's things like I kept on, I kept doing some of the group meetings longer than I, I don't know, that I needed to just because, and there's things that I learned like later on in the program that I never would have learned if I weren't there in group meetings. Um, I don't know. It was an awesome experience. So, and I don't know if you're in doing individual therapy, like, you have to sit there and be talking the entire time. You know, you don't get to just sit back and listen. And sometimes I think that's what people need to do because you can talk yourself in circles when you're in early recovery without making a whole lot of progress, I guess. Yeah, it's it's true. And you get to hear other... There's so just, just, just like so much value. Group is just f***ing rad. Yeah. Um, but what, so, what, so Denise is like, 
you know, Norman, pull, you know, pull your head out of your ass. You, you, you know, let's get this Adderall thing going. What happened there? How did you get to the place where like, okay, yeah, that's a problem. So I had been sober for like 65 days, I think from alcohol and came to the realization that yes, uh, I can't manage my Adderall use either. When I was supposed to be taking two a day, I rarely could do that. Um, so I was like, all right, I need to need to come bring that information out to the group and um, to my counselor and, you know, start figuring this out. So I, I told, I got in the group meeting and said, you know, I decided to quit taking the Adderall. And I think some people didn't even know that I was had still been taking it because I didn't really talk about it. Like I just talked about how I had quit drinking, like how cool that was. Not that I'm still using this other substance, like nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, so I, I came in the group meeting and said, um, I've quit taking Adderall. I'm sober from both substances for um, four days now. And Denise actually told me to, like, at the beginning of check-in to, like, say, I'm sober from alcohol for 65 days and I'm sober from Adderall for four days. And, like, say both both um, amounts moving forward. So about a week or so later, maybe two weeks later, um, I got a phone call from my doctor's office saying that my prescription was ready because I hadn't called them and told them that I wasn't taking it anymore because that would be, you know, a commitment to actually following through. <laughs> Cause I still was unsure if that's what I wanted, I guess. Um, Those back doors. Yeah. So I started taking it again and the next, the next meeting I went to, I said, you know, I've been sober from alcohol for 80 days and I've been sober from Adderall for 16 days which is not the truth. Oh, that's um, the worst feeling. Yeah. So it, it sucked like the first day and then the next meeting it felt even worse. And then the next meeting it felt even worse. And I just kept, after it had been like 10 days, it was like, now if I come out and say really what happened, like I'm going to feel like a real asshole, you know? And now it's like, that's not it's something that you should be worried about. If you're in a group meeting about addiction, it's like, just be honest it's so hard to be honest when you're, when you're in that position, like people, people don't understand. But so I kept saying that I was sober from both substances and I, I don't think I ever actually came clean with anybody about that for a long time. So my, my mom and my family and my wife all thought I was sober from alcohol, which was true. But they also thought I wasn't taking Adderall anymore. I was, so that was like August of 2018. So I'd been sober from alcohol from since June. So it had been a couple months, but fast forward to like two months after that in November, my, I get no word that my doctor that I'm getting the Adderall from is retiring. So in my mind, I'm like, thank God, this is a sign from God basically telling me that it's right. over. Like I'm thinking if I don't, have the doctor prescribing it to me anymore i don't want to do this shit anymore finally like i can be done with it because i i without the alcohol um, the adderall was was it caused different problems for me but it still caused problems it still modified my behaviors to where i was irritable and up you know, too too far up or too far down and it was not good like i wasn't myself still but yeah my doctor's retiring so this is going to be how this is going to end finally. So I went into the last appointment I had and the doc gave me a, a prescription for a 90 day supply. It usually just says a month, but 
Right. So here's three months worth. Uh, you've got three months to figure out who who's going to follow up with you. Like who's going to be your new doctor. And it's like, I don't, don't need to do that because I'm not going to, I'm going to take this. I had 180 capsules and I wrote out like a schedule of how I was going to taper down on the dose and safely and get off of it. Like, and I know what, what the appropriate thing is to do. Right. Right. That pharmacy school coming in handy. Yeah. So I started doing that and I don't know, uh, maybe three weeks into it, I already couldn't follow my schedule. So I was supposed to go down to one a day instead of two. And I did that for like, I I took the first one um, in the morning and by like noon, I'm already like freaking out. Like I can't, can't do this. Like I can't go the whole day without taking the other one. There's Um, no accountability. So it's like, no. And I had, you know, I, there had been points prior to that where I gave them the prescription. I gave the bottle to my wife and was like, I need you to just make sure I you give me two of these per day. And that's all I get. But, you know, I found a way around that. But essentially, that's what that's what, what happened, though. With my last script, it was like I was supposed to... So it was a three-month supply. I was going to have it last like four months to taper off of it. And in reality, it lasted like probably less than two. Yeah. So, so then I'm, I'm completely out of it. I had just started a new job, maybe like three weeks before I had ran out completely. So the job was going really well because I wasn't drinking anymore. I still had my Adderall for the first three weeks of the job, but then I don't have the Adderall anymore. And it's like, I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy of going from taking, you know, I was probably taking at that point, like 120 milligrams of Adderall a day. Oh my God. That's not even, (laughs) it gets worse. Uh, but to go from that to taking none and still trying to function was not good. Like I was in bad shape. I was still going to work and still like functioning somewhat, but any minute of any day that I could sleep or get away from everybody, I was doing that. And it was causing turmoil at, at home because my wife doesn't know that I'm withdrawing from Adderall because she thought I quit it months ago. Right. So she doesn't know what's going on. I'm just like a piece of shit around the house, like just sleeping all the time. And she's like, what is wrong with you? You know, and I, I can't tell her the truth. So I'm lying to her and she probably knows I'm lying to her and she knows something's going on, but doesn't know what it is. So not only am I depressed and going through withdrawal and struggling at work, the new job, I'm also dealing with, I'm also causing marital issues and, you know, uncomfortable situations environment at home so i went through dealt with that for a couple of weeks maybe a month or so i'm like i've got to i've got to go find a new doctor because i can't like i knew it was going to be bad coming off of it but i did not know it was going to be that bad so i go find a new doctor and i'm hoping like that he will prescribe me adderall but also like have somebody to hold me accountable because it was kind of a weird appointment with this guy because i go in and tell him that i want adderall but i also don't want to be on it anymore (laughs) so it's like how do i explain this to this guy without him thinking that i'm a complete nut job but you know he knew i was a pharmacist and i explained to him what what had happened was like i would have been had been on it for a long time i wanted to get off of it and 
I've been off of it for a couple of weeks, but I just can't function. And like, I'm depressed. I'm unhappy at home. Like my life sucks right now. Right. Um, I need you to like prescribe it to me and then like help me get off of it in, yeah. in, a, in a safer way. And uh, he didn't really like that idea. Um, <laughs> which he was, was probably... He was an unplanned Norman. Yeah. He's like, why don't we just try like an antidepressant and see how that goes? And I'm thinking to myself, dude, the only thing that's going to help me right now is Adderall. It's the only thing that's going to help me because, yeah, I may be depressed, but my major problem is that I am addicted to Adderall and I don't have any. But I wasn't that honest. Like I was honest to a certain degree, but I didn't make it apparent like how severe my addiction was. I mean, that makes sense. You're not yeah. going to go in there and show all your cards when you're right. asking for them, right? So I tried it. He put me on Wellbutrin and I tried it for like a week. And I'm like, this is not, or this is not cutting it. Like a low dose of Wellbutrin is not going to take the place of a super high, high dose of that. <laughs> Like, come on. But I, I played the game, you know, I, I did what he told me to do just so I don't, was kind of hoping that I would be able to go back and tell him like, Hey, this isn't working. Why don't we try my idea? Why don't you give me Adderall? Right. So, so what happened? That's what I did. I go back to my next appointment a week later and like, dude, I'm just as bad, maybe worse than I was last time. Like I can't function without Adderall. Like, so he can, he says, well, the Wellbutrin can take a couple weeks to, to work. And I'm like, I wanted to just be like, dude, this is not going to work. But I mean, I know what drug seeking behavior looks like because I've seen it in the pharmacy before. Right. Right. So I'd say that, then it's like, he's obviously going to know that there's more going on. And I'm like, all right, so I guess I'm not going to get Adderall again. So after being miserable for as long as I had been, I think it was, Maybe three. I was supposed to have another appointment with him a week later, but before that week was even up, I started diverting from the pharmacy, little small amounts. So that's how that ended up starting. So you start diverting from from um, your pharmacy, which I'm sure was terrifying, <laughs> right? Probably. Yeah. Like, it's you know. And the thing people have asked me before, like, did you think you weren't going to get caught? It's like, no, I knew. The second that I took the first one, that I was going to get caught. And that mm, I knew how it was going to play out. I knew it was going to start with me taking one or two. And then I was going to start taking more. And then I was going to start taking more until it became out of control. And then I was going to get caught. And I was going to potentially lose my license. And I knew what was going to happen. But in the moment of when you feel like you need that substance to function, that takes precedent over okay, what could potentially happen to me next week or next month or next year? It doesn't matter. There's no ability to make a different decision. So how long after did you get caught? It took like two months, two and a half months, I think. Three months, maybe. Something like that. And did you lose your license? No. I got it. It was restricted for a period of time. But now I'm in like a a state-run program that's for healthcare professionals in recovery that as long as I do what I need to do. Um, I, my pharmacist license is back to like a full, full on license. So did you, so is that the last time what, what, after you got caught, is that the last time that you've, how long have you been off substances? Um, that was July of last, 
last year. So July, July of 2019. Did you come back to Lion Rock or, or had you graduated at, you, you had fully graduated at that point? I never actually like fully graduated. I kept doing individual counseling up until like a month before I got arrested. So yeah, and that's um, an interesting part of th- that whole situation was getting arrested. That was kind of wild. You uh, got, did you get arrested at work? Yeah. In front of everyone? No, thankfully it was after we closed. But I was, uh, so I was at work that day and I knew that like I was not being as careful as I was in the beginning, not covering my tracks. Like you got to be sneaky to get away with this stuff or like, so when I came in that day, it was a Monday, July 17th, I think it was. And it was the 15th. But anyways, um, I come in that day and I look in like the, the book, the log that shows like the counts of the Adderalls and different strengths and whatnot. And I see that there's, there's check marks on the scripts that are like legitimate and there's no check marks by the ones that I had like forged basically. So I knew that somebody knew what was going on for it was obvious to me that I was getting fired at, at minimum. So I was like, shit, it's, it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. I work until 7 PM. So what am I going to do for the next seven hours knowing that like something's going to happen here? I thought about just like leaving, but like, I can't do that. Like there's, I still cared about like my coworkers and my customers and patients. Like if I just get up and leave, they can't, this place can't function without a pharmacist in here. Like legally they can't do anything. So that's going to mess with a whole lot of people that are expecting to come in and get taken care of and get their medications and whatnot. So I started actually calling our, there's a a company that sends in like relief pharmacists to, to, to take over on days that, our pharmacist can't work. So it was like, I know that it's my weekend to work. Like, so I call this lady and like, Hey, I mean, we're going to need coverage like on Saturday and Sunday. Like, I know I'm getting fired and getting caught for diverting drugs. And I'm trying to like, make sure that my shifts are getting covered. Yeah. 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 Because that's, I mean, I really did care about my job. I, 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 it was one of the, it's probably the best job I've ever had up to that point. But I know. I just always thought that that was interesting that that's where my head was at was like, yeah, that makes kinda, sense. I felt like it showed that I was still a good employee, still even though I was a thief. There you, <laughs> you go. Know? Well, we're, we are not, we are not bad people trying to get good. We're sick people trying to get well, you know? And so the piece of us that is drug seeking and, you know, eventually our person who we truly are goes away. But you know, for a long time, it's 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 very much a dual personality, where you can be this thoughtful, caring person on the one hand, and you just don't have control. It's not you know, it's you've 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 crossed that invisible line where you get a say in the decision making. Yeah, I know the the people I was working with were, I'm sure they were shocked that what I was doing because everyone. I mean, I got along with everybody. I came in as the, the new um, pharmacy manager and I, the first couple months I did a lot of good things in the store and making changes and everybody was pretty happy with, with me. And, um, it was a good place. I liked my, my manager. She was awesome. The HR guy was awesome. I actually just talked to him a couple months ago, but yeah. So you got arrested in like the, the police showed up as you were closing. Yeah. So I started packing my stuff up like little by little. Cause I knew that I was, not going to be working there anymore. So I was 
just going to quit. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen, but so I start packing all my stuff up and then the pharmacy closes and I still got like a box of stuff in the pharmacy and I'm making sure I get all my belongings before I leave. And like right before I was carrying out the last box to my truck, there's like seven cops that come in the back door of the pharmacy and they're like, they're like, Hey, what are you, what's going on? I'm like, and I knew that I was, what was going to happen. But, um, like, Oh, I'm just taking some stuff out to my truck, just getting ready to leave. Like, Oh, well we got a call that there was some suspicious activity. And I'm like, okay. I kind of played dumb for about five minutes before I was like, yeah, this, this is what's going on. And you told him, yeah, it was, I mean, I knew I was toast. Like there was no hiding it anymore. And part of me was like, thank God this is over, you know, because yeah. otherwise I have to just continue to live this way. Like you go to work and then you go home and you think, um, is tomorrow going to be the day that this, you know, ends? Yeah. Am I going to get arrested tomorrow or is it going to be next week or next month? Like, so yeah, they came in, arrested me. My supervisor and the HR guy came to the pharmacy. And as the cops were kind of walking me out of the store, I asked to go talk to them. And the cop was like, you want to go talk to the HR guy and your supervisor? <laughs> like, yeah, I do. And he's like, well, let me go ask them if they're okay with that. Apparently they said yes. So like they, we kind of came together and I told them, you know, some of the stuff that I had just said to you was like, this is probably the best job I've ever had. I appreciate how you guys treated me. I really loved everybody here. Tell them I'm sorry, but I've been struggling with, alcohol and Adderall addiction for a really long time. And, you know, I'm sorry that this happened, but it's basically just told him I felt really bad about what happened and that I had, I appreciated how, how good they were to me. And that was pretty much it. Uh, the HR guy immediately was like, you know, Norman, the only thing you can do from here is just to bounce back and try to, um, you know, get back on your feet and learn from this experience. I'll never forget him saying that because I wasn't expecting anybody to say anything positive at that time, but that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. Uh, the, it's amazing. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. The police department was actually right across the street. So I had been talking to the cop for a little while by that point, And he knew that I was just felt horrible about what was going on and that I was just addicted to Adderall. And he's like, well, I can give you a ride over there. Or if you just want to, walk across the street go ahead i'm like i guess i'll just walk he's like all right i'll meet you over there so that was really i thought it was kind of funny that like he didn't put me in handcuffs or put me in his car he's like just meet me over there yeah i mean you know they could tell that you know i'm i'm I'm, you know they they probably have remorse and and or see that you have remorse and um you know, really care and that you have a problem, you know, again, it's going back to sick people trying to get well. Right. And like you were honest and they could see that. And that's probably not something that they see very often. So it was probably really remarkable, uh, in the, given the circumstances. So what does your recovery look like today? Well, it wasn't easy. Like it's taken me quite a while to get to where I'm at today, but like I went to rehab for, 57 days, like immediately after I was arrested, like the next day I was gone and got out of rehab would have been in September of last year and still had a lot of things to work on. 
I needed to learn how to be live a healthier lifestyle and learn how to to, to manage stress and emotions um, and feel emotions. I had numbed myself for such a long time that like I still feel like it's overflowing like on a daily basis. Like it's it's a regular occurrence almost daily where like I'll be on my way to work or on my way home from work and just be uh, in tears because it's you're just so thankful that you don't have to live like that anymore. It's like being, you know, it's waking up being sentenced to another day of life, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an awful, awful feeling. It's an awful feeling to, you know, do to the people that you love and care about. And, there's just no, you know, to, to not have choice in that. And I get that. I get that. It's, it's gnarly. And it sounds like you had, you know, you had enough experience with treatment and information that what, like that almost made it worse because you would quit drinking and you had all this knowledge and you had done this therapy and you'd done some work. And so it almost makes it worse because you, you, you have a better understanding of what's happening. Yeah, it, it. I would agree with that. And also, like when I talked earlier about with alcohol, like giving up and being like, I'm not going to say I'm not going to drink today because I'm going to. Like the same thing ended up happening with Adderall. It was like, I need to stop doing this because I'm putting my whole livelihood on the line every time I'm doing this. And I tell myself and tell myself that I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. And I told myself one time that I should just quit my job and go to rehab. I was really close to actually pulling the trigger on doing that, but I didn't for whatever reason. But yeah, it was to get back to that same feeling of hopelessness just with a different substance was like, it's pretty, pretty brutal. But yeah, as far as my recovery now, it's pretty crazy. Like how much more I've accomplished since I've gotten sober than I ever thought I would. Like I've, I've, I've known for years, like I need to be healthier. Like I'm always a happier person if I'm physically, um, exercising and eating better. And I just never did that for so long. I always had Adderall to like basically take care of being able to function. Like I could eat like crap and not exercise and just take more Adderall. Like it wouldn't matter. Right. Um, but I mean, when I got out of rehab, I was, I started using food as mm-hmm. my next substance. And I knew that that could be an issue because I obviously I knew about cross addiction because I experienced that pretty, pretty well. Um, and I was dealing with depression still after I left rehab because I felt like my life had fallen apart basically. And uh, how was I going to get a job and how am I going to support my family? And like, what am I going to do now? I did get a job pretty quick, but I actually interviewed for a, a job while I was still in rehab. I, my mom had to come pick me up. Oh my God. She came and picked me up and drove me to the hospital where I did my job interview. And I mean, did I had the job. I got the job. Yeah. Did you tell them you were in rehab? I didn't tell them I was in rehab. I had to okay. tell them that I was arrested two months prior for diversion. Oh, geez. Wow. Because that's on my license, like my pharmacist yeah. license. If you look it up, it'll say what happened. But, but. Yeah, after I got out of rehab, like it was good to have a job. It was just, you know, really spotty hours part time, but I was still dealing with depression and still using food kind of to, that was the only thing I had left to like give me some dopamine, you know? Yep. I did. And I, 
was like, I need to start exercising and eating better. But I was still like pretty depressed. And it got to be uh, January of this year. And I was really down, like had no energy, felt really bad. And I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, I've been sober completely from all substances since July. It's been six months and I still feel like shit. Like, what is happening here? Like, I knew that it was going to take a while, just, you know, because it does. But, like, I don't feel any better than I did, you know, six months ago. Like, this, and I, it, I was going to meetings at the time and I kept hearing people say, like, oh, my life is, you know, better now than it's ever been. And I'm like, these people you know <laughs> like they get sober and then you know they come in here and talk about how their life is better than it's ever been like i'm like what's why is that not happening for me like right this is bullshit totally um, but i think i still had i still had um just some mental health issues i needed to, to work on and i needed to start being more active and taking care of my body things that I hadn't had to worry about or hadn't thought about in a long time. So um, I actually started seeing a psychiatrist slash addictionist um, doctor who is very well-versed in, in what I'm dealing with. And I got on um, a antidepressant and, um, you know, we tried different things until found something that worked and that seemed to, to benefit me. And at the same time, that I started with that, I started exercising, um, just walking in the beginning and eating healthy and tracking how many calories I'm taking in and things like that. And I had gotten to like the heaviest weight I've ever been in my life. So yeah, I started working on my mental health, talking to my counselor. I started talking with the counselor at Lion Rock again. And I mean, since April of this year, I think I've, I've lost close to like 60 pounds. Wow. So, and now I'm doing uh, some CrossFit stuff every day, well, six days a week. I go in at like 5 a.m. because it's the only time that I it's going to work to where I can consistently do it at the same time every day. And it's still kind of baffling to me that I'm the guy that's going to CrossFit at 5 a.m. Just it's like that's that Love just it. doesn't sound like something that I would do, but like that is what I'm doing. And I've been doing it for quite a few months now. Yep. There you go. So it's like being sober and taking care of myself. It's like starting to slowly create a new identity for who I am because I lost that for such a long time. And I get emotional talking about that every single time, but it's like, I remember who I used to be, you know, I used to be a very confident person, very happy. Um, if you ever asked me, you know, back when I was younger, like, who would you, would you rather be anybody else? And it was like, no, I'd rather be me than anybody on this planet. But then to lose that for such a long time and yeah. start to slowly get that back. It's pretty incredible. That's why it's like, you know, I break down like just about every day, like at least once just being thankful for where I'm at. And like, it's over, like it can be over. Like, I don't have to live like that. I don't have to feel like that ever again. No, you don't. You don't have to feel like that ever again as long as you continue to do the things to take care of your recovery. Yeah. You know, that's the piece is like, you know, that's where the day at a time stuff comes in because you are still uh, and you are still an alcoholic and addict. That's that part of your brain is still there. And okay. 
you know, hence hence the struggle with food, right? Like we're still always seeking. And and if you're able to do something for your recovery every day, whatever that looks like, then you have a really good shot of a really amazing life and staying sober. But I think sometimes what happens is we forget, you know, we forget how bad it was or we put, you know, put too much, we put a lot of time between us and our last drink and our or our last use, whatever. And just making sure that we don't forget um, and that we continue to stay connected. I mean, connection is so important. Are, are you, um, do you have any sober community that you are involved with? Well, me and a friend of mine, well, he was the host of the uh, smart recovery meetings in the area. And I was starting to get involved into that right before COVID hit. And we haven't had any in-person meetings in, you know, nine months or whatever. But I do a lot of smart recovery. I still talk to, well, I started talking to a counselor through Lion Rock again a few months ago. You know, I've done AA meetings. You know, I've got with work and two kids. My kids are four and two and going back to school. Like I've got a lot of stuff going on, keeping me very, very busy, but um, I'm capable of actually like handling all those things without needing some substance to like help me function. It's uh, incredible. Yeah. It's like, I remember the first day that I went and went and worked out, did CrossFit in the morning, went to work, got out of work, like drove home, like, I don't know, got groceries and then made dinner and like, few other things. I did all of these things in one day without like a substance. And it, it like hit me like I can do this now. Like like people that, that don't have what, what we have don't get it. But it's like they, they do not. And it's funny, I love that you bring that up because it's like I so often have been like, do you understand what it takes for me to be a normal person? Like do yeah. you understand like I feel like I should get a gold medal for just like like being alive in a house and 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 like being a normal semi functioning adult and it's of all the things I've accomplished quote unquote like a comp like if you look at like accomplishments they don't hold a candle to how difficult it is to just like get up and take care of myself right. <laughs> it's uh it's really you know i think the things my experience is a lot of us feel this way where it's like the complex difficult you know crazy things we can do it's the day-to-day stuff that just takes us out like it's the day-to-day ability to do these things that's the hard stuff for us not the really you know crisis situations or the right. you know like we're great and give me a crisis situation i am your girl but like dated like laundry i'm a mess like getting up and like being productive like hour after hour it takes all my energy you know it's just a whole it's a different thing and i think i i love that you just had that you had that you're like holy shit i can do this that's i mean i broke down when that happened like yeah or uh, another experience like that was like a couple weeks after i got a rehab and i was taking my kids to daycare and I woke up in the morning. I got up like a half hour before they normally get up and had coffee and like got them dressed and took them to school. And it wasn't like a c- complete nightmare, you know? It was, it, was, it was okay, you know? It wasn't that hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking, like, holy shit, like that wasn't that hard, like this time. Like, I, 
when I was still using or, you know, it was like, I can't, I can't even do this. Like, this is impossible. Like I can't barely take care of myself, let alone take care of two kids too. Like, this is insane. But then yeah, you just like lose your mind. You're like, what do you mean? You can't find your shoe. (laughs) It's like a full crisis meltdown. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, that morning I got it got them ready to go and took them to school. And after I dropped them off, I was on my way back home and was like, just started sobbing because it was like the first time that I, I realized that not everything was going to be as hard anymore. And I had a, I had a counselor at rehab say something like similar to me. She's like, you know, Norman, life's not supposed to be that hard. And it's, it, it's true. But when you're trying to balance a life and your addiction, it makes everything a thousand times more difficult. It's not fun. It's not fun, and it's not sustainable. No, I mean, it it just it takes it takes everybody takes everybody out. It's just a you know, it's just a question of how long you fight it for. Yeah, I get. It. That's typically what happens is eventually people suffer enough to where that they right. Quit. Yeah, yeah. There's something that you know the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The only well, the only other thing that um, I'm still working on like in my recovery. That's important to me is I started going back to school to I'm planning on applying to a PA school because pharmacy is not really where I want to be career wise, like in the long term. Yeah. So, and I just, my, my plan is to work with people in addiction or mental health because I feel like I can help a lot of people. Yeah. being working in pharmacy, there's not really a, a, an avenue to do that. So, you know, so one day maybe open my own rehab facility. It sounds like a, you know, at first it sounded like a far-fetched idea, but it doesn't really sound like that anymore. And I've started to shadow some a PA that I that I know, and you talk to him a lot about my experience, and I kind of my thought is like so many people have addiction issues that, that need help or mental health issues that need help. Or, you know, another very common problem in our society is people being overweight and having food issues or obesity. It's like, you know, it's still a a constant battle for me, but you know, have I been through major depression? Yes. Have I been over 300 pounds at one point? Yes. Have I been addicted to, Adderall, yes. Alcohol, yes. Like I feel like I've overcome all of those things. So I feel like if you're a patient and you're you have a doctor or PA that can tell you their experience and that you you find out that they've actually been through what you're dealing with. Yep. It, it makes it a lot more real. And you know, having that experience on my end would would make it. I, I feel like make me a pretty valuable resource to people who are dealing with those types of issues. So, Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, that's incredible. Uh, that's my goal is to apply to PA school at um, CMU is where I'm in Mount Pleasant, where I'm from. So I've got a couple more classes to, to take and apply. And I don't know, it's if four or five years out, maybe before I'm actually a PA, but depending on how things go, who knows what's going to happen. I've, I've always thought that I knew where I was going to be five years from now, but it's never been right. So that's the plan. 
Well, that's incredible, Norman. You have just overcome so much and your story is incredible and it's going to help so many people. I really believe that. And um, I'm just really grateful that I got the opportunity to talk to you and that you came on here and are willing to share your story and and help other people because I know it does help people to hear and to relate. You know, they get to relate to the feelings that you described and, and maybe they get to believe that they can change the way that you did. So I I think that's just wonderful. And you have to uh, send me a picture of their tattoo when, when you finally get it. That's awesome. Yeah, I can do that for sure. (laughs) Okay. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Norman, for being here. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meetings, schedule, and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.